Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just before we get started, if you want to help fund this podcast so it can continue, go to unitedthroughtime.com forward slash support for details on how to sign up to be a patron. On with the show. Cheers. Welcome back to United Through Time and the final part of our documentary on Charlie Roberts, Manchester United's first true hero who spent his summers trawler fishing off the coast of Grimsby in Icelandic waters. We left you at the end of Charlie's battle with the FA as a founding member of the Players' Union. Well, not the end actually, at all. This was a war that would carry on for many, many more years and Charlie, of course, would be involved. In part three, we discussed Charlie's second title at Manchester United, a couple of goats, leaving Old Trafford, injury and illness, World War I, other battles, management, a new football club and tobacco. Enjoy. The 1909-10 season wasn't a great one for United, but it's worth pointing out that there were some some normal things going on despite the crisis of the players' union that Charlie Roberts was so actively involved in. In August, as the union met with the Football Association and hammered some issues out, Roberts was supposed to take his United team to the Red Lion Hotel in Withington to oppose a team drawn from the Manchester Press Bowling Club. The rest of his team did actually go to this event, but Roberts was called away to Birmingham to meet with trade union officials. And I said these things were normal, but perhaps that was the wrong word to use. There was normal things going on for everything else, but for Charlie Roberts, things were certainly a little different. And something else that was a bit different was when he was presented with a new mascot at the start of the new season. At the Ardwick Empire second performance on Thursday night, the Bensons will present a mascot to Charlie Roberts, captain of the Manchester United football team. The nature of the mascot is at present being kept a secret, but we are told that it is alive and will be very interesting to the team. That was given to him by this, you know, a touring Shakespearean theatre group. Yes. Yeah. Who thought Charlie Roberts was the best thing since sliced bread, you know. <laughs> so, when you were growing up, did you have the, the goat in, the, in your house? No, in the house. It was in my house in Walton Hall for... till I left there in, 19, in 2007 or 2008. <laughs> And then we then we lent it to the um, gave it to a lent it hired it lent it out to the museum. Yeah. Lived at home with Charlie yeah. and the family in North Road The Bensons had written to Charlie to offer him a mascot of a nanny goat. Mr Benson presented me with a goat on the stage before the audience. As soon as I took over the leader from him, the goat lowered its head and made a rush at me with its horns. Sure enough, I thought I was destined to be dropped down amongst the bandsmen, but thanks to my being a footballer, I managed to evade the charge. Needless to say, this unrehearsed little comedy affair 
brought down the house, and it pleased no one more than my fellow players, whom I could see in one of the boxes double with laughter. It was a great joke for everybody, except yours truly. Charlie wrote in later years. The new GOAT didn't prove particularly fortunate for United. United lost at Trent Bridge, and then Roberts wasn't given his benefit against Newcastle, as we've already heard, and then United scored an own goal against the Geordies to draw 1-1. Meredith said, I think we should be compelled to hold an inquest on that alleged mascot of ours. Do not be surprised if next week you read a startling column some morning describing the solemn proceedings at an execution held at Clayton. But joking apart, I am afraid our four-legged little friend is too popular with us for any sins to be visited on his head. It was a loyal mascot, though, named Union after the exploits with the Players' Union. The goat would follow any of the players about the streets just like a dog. I had a newsagent shop about 200 yards from the ground and she could find her way down to it all alone. The rescheduled date for his benefit was made. The Football Association had finally given permission after delaying until late November. It was meant to be the opening fixture at Old Trafford against Sheffield Wednesday, Christmas Day. But as with all stadiums, and this isn't new to modern football as we see, things were delayed on the building of Old Trafford. And instead it was Bank Street in front of 25,000 fans where Roberts had his benefit and took home a tidy four-figure sum. In February, United did move into their new ground at Old Trafford, just across the street from John Henry Davies's house. It was a dreary season on the whole, really, with United out of the FA Cup early on to Burnley, who got revenge for that snowy result in previous years. And then United finished fifth after a number of defeats, including a humiliating 7-1 loss to Aston Villa. But the move into Old Trafford was certainly a positive, a very, very grand new ground that we've spoken about more in the episodes on Ernest Magno and John Henry Davies. The Players' Union had lost its fight back in the autumn, but it was doing some really important work throughout the year and this would carry on throughout the rest of Charlie Roberts' life, something he was very much involved in. In February, Roberts helped to host a meeting in Manchester at the Imperial Hotel, Harry Stafford's Hotel, where it was decided that the Union would play a Sunderland team at Stamford Bridge in March in order to raise money for the widow of the late Charles Cotton, a Southend United goalkeeper who had died. Over the summer, Charlie went trawler fishing off the coast of Groomsby again, one of his habits over the summer months. It's unlikely he took his wife May with him, but it is possible she had lived in Grimsby for a couple of years and that's where they met. And it's possible they took their children as well, two-year-old William and one-year-old Margaret. Another new mascot for the United Club was given after the goat from the previous season had died. A greyhound was a gift this time from a Mr S Hill Wood from Glossop. At any event, we hope that his existence on this earthly sphere will be a trifle longer than that enjoyed by the poor little goat we had last season. On its death, I may say I had it preserved, and it now occupies a prominent place among my football relics at home. I also hope that the greyhound will bring us more luck than our poor friend Union the Goat. Since she came to us, there's been nothing but suspensions, expectations and commissions. Ted Roberts had that goat's head that Charlie preserved up in his house until 2007. United's luck was to change, although to credit the greyhound with that might be a bit much. In 1911, Charlie Roberts lifted a third major trophy as captain of Manchester United. He remained the only captain to ever achieve such a feat at this point and would do so until the 1940s post-World War II. A second league title followed the first in 1908 and the FA Cup of 1909. We spoke in some detail about this league title in the last episode on Ernest Magnell. It was quite a title race. Charlie Roberts again was absolutely vital. 
even more so in fact because of the continuous injury problems that Ernest Magnell's side suffered. For example, Billy Meredith wrote midway through the season that For weeks Charlie has been sticking to his work on the difficulties because he knew other men were off and the importance of keeping the team together as far as was possible. Away from his own performance, Charlie helped to coach through some of the younger reserves as they came in to replace injured players like Dick Duckworth and Alec Bell. One of those players was an outside right, Jackie Sheldon. Charlie Roberts, who has worked like a horse this season, wrote Meredith, fed him coached and encouraged Sheldon and so got every ounce of the lad that he had in him. He is a captain who makes men play by example, and when he is going well, we feel any amount of confidence. That quote came from midway through the season, but United had begun the season well with a 1-0 win at Everton, much to the fury of the home fans. Much to the fury of the home fans. The crowd started throwing apples at United's goalkeeper Harry Modger, and he refused to take a goal kick, rightly so, until they ceased fire. As Charlie entered the ground as well, one supporter stopped him and said, I think I know your face, are you not Roberts? And Charlie said yes, he was, and the man replied, Oh, I thought you were an old player. 27-year-old Charlie was not particularly pleased at that, but Billy Meredith was beside himself, pissing himself a few metres away. But Charlie was laughing himself soon, sat reading the newspaper reports from the previous game, which said, Roberts was twice hurt in ridiculously easy fashion for a big fellow. To which Charlie responded, as he had his feet rubbed in ointment by United trainer Fred Bacon. I wish the chap that wrote that had this little foot of mine, he might get new ideas. Another season where Manchester United were fighting at the top of the table, led by Roberts, rejuvenated calls for him to become England's centre-half again. Billy Wedlock now had almost 15 caps compared to Roberts' sole three. A great injustice. New calls did come in the papers. The time has arrived to give Roberts a new place in the England team to the exclusion of Wedlock. His active connection with the Players' Union is said to have adversely affected his prospects for caps. Big, well-built and fearless, Roberts plays hard from start to finish and can always be relied upon to be at least consistent. In late February, United lost to West Ham, but even after that game, Charlie was described as The finest staff back on the field and on form should not be passed over for honours. In early March as well, with the internationals coming up, Roberts' fine season continued. It was his best since 1908, for sure, and perhaps his best ever at the age of 27. In an interleague game in Glasgow at Ibrox, The outstanding halfback was undoubtedly Charlie Roberts, who must have so impressed the selectors as to warrant his inclusion in future association games at the expense of wedlock. Still, Billy Wedlock moved on to 14 caps for England and Charlie Roberts stayed out in the cold, an outcast. The end of the season was a difficult and a dramatic one, made all the more so by the injury absence of Charlie Roberts. He was badly hurt in a home draw against Sheffield United. Don't ask me what the result would have been if Charlie Roberts had not twisted his knee in the first half, commented one journalist reporting on the shock result. But Charlie was still there watching every game and in the dressing rooms, even the next day at Owlerton as United played the Wednesday in Sheffield and then came the final game of the season. Though Charlie couldn't be involved, it was One of the happiest incidents it has ever been my good fortune to witness. The Championship of the League was still undecided. Our old rivals, Aston Villa, were slight favourites. We won our game all right. United did. They thrashed Sunderland. And as it happened, there was a quarter of an hour still to play at Liverpool when our game was over. As we retired to the dressing rooms, we were informed that Liverpool were leading by two goals to one, and we had to wait and see. We spent an anxious time in our baths, waiting for that final score. Every few minutes, we could hear faint cheers from the thousands of people who had assembled in front of the grandstand to wait the news. 
None of these chairs had the ring of success about them that we were longing and hoping for. We were beginning to give up hope when a roar as of thunder shook the air. It was the ring of triumph. We were the champions. One of our most ardent supporters rushed into the bathroom where we all were, and I'm convinced he had lost his senses for the time being. He was shouting and yelling like a madman. He jumped onto the side of our bath, which is about four feet from the floor, by the way, and was trying to shake all our hands at once. With the inevitable result, he overbalanced himself, fell into the bath with all his clothes on. We pulled him out and rigged him up in one of the players' dresses, and in this, he marched home in triumph to the cheers of the crowd. Another title for Charlie Roberts. The first great Manchester United team. And it wasn't just a team that would win you know, one trophy and that's it. It was a team that went on to, to, to win, what was it, three trophies and you know become one of the best supported teams in Milan at that point. And it was an incredible achievement. Charlie would eventually leave Manchester United and, remarkably, he was only at the club for nine years in total, though, of course, there has been so much to tell already. The 1911-12 season that followed the second title was a bit of a disappointment. Well, more than a bit. United finished 13th, although they did win another charity shield at the start of it. As with 1908 and 1910, United's players just lost a little bit of fitness after trophy wins and were too inconsistent in the following season. In the summer of 1912, the first rumours came that Charlie was set to leave Manchester United. There was one headline. Will Charlie Roberts be with Manchester City next season? It was hinted in this column last week that Charlie Roberts, the famous Manchester United and England halfback, was likely to change his quarters ere next season commenced. The United's rivals at Hyde Road have been contemplating the acquisition of this wonderful player, but the heavy transfer fee demanded has proved a stumbling block. The city officials have offered £1,000, but it is stated on good authority that the United will not part with him for anything less than £1,500. Had City paid the £1,500, would Charlie have gone? Well, we can't tell. Perhaps he would have done. It was local, it made sense, he had a business and a family in the area. But he stayed at United for one more year. That move didn't happen. Instead, City took Ernest Magnell, and Charlie's role became even more important. JJ Bentley, United's chairman, took over as temporary United manager, and he did little on the training side of things, so Charlie had to do even more. United finished fourth. Not bad, an improvement on last season, but it wasn't an appropriate end to such a fantastic team. Never is so, is it? The next year, it was a transfer saga of the summer Charlies, like Pogba, Schneider, Perisic, Nicholas Gaitan. In early June, it seemed certain that he was going to remain a United player. For example, the Manchester Courier, the local paper with good links to United, reported that Roberts... Yesterday re-signed for Manchester United. And then the Staffordshire Sentinel said... Charlie Roberts re-signed for his old club. He originally refused to sign unless he had a written agreement for a second benefit match. Roberts was offered £4.10 shillings per week and a two-years agreement. The news of his decision to remain with the Manchester club will be received with pleasure by his many local admirers. Despite this, by the end of August, Charlie was wearing the stripes of Oldham Athletic instead of the crimson red of Manchester United. The fans were not happy, but that's exactly what Charlie had been at United, unhappy. He wanted a second benefit for his service to the club, 
and the United directors didn't feel it was appropriate to grant him one. I mean, Roberts was that good that Oldham Athletic paid £1,750 in 1913 to sign Roberts. I mean, that was regarded as a bit silly, to, to be fair. JJ Bentley took to the press to give an official explanation to United supporters. There is no personal grievance between the directors and Roberts, he said to a press representative. Indeed, we regret very much having to part with him, and on behalf of the club, I have written to him expressing our appreciation, his magnificent services through all these years. The finest tribute that can be paid to Roberts, the mere fact that after nine years' service, his transfer fee is £1,500. Manchester City offered the same sum for him last season, and the United directors then refused to part with Roberts, but circumstances arose which made it impossible for him to stay this season. The plain fact is that Roberts, who had a benefit in 1909, desired written guarantee of a second benefit, which would not be due until a year next December. The United Directors, with their financial responsibilities, felt that they could not exceed this request. Oldham Athletic for days sought to persuade us to part with him. He refused to accept the captaincy and then, under all the circumstances, with a fine set of halfbacks available to us and needing money, we felt bound to accept the big offer made to us. Roberts has our best wishes for the future. United officials can never forget all that he has done for the club. Charlie was instantly made captain at Oldham, but continued to live in Manchester, of course, with his wife May and his kids William, Margaret and Charlie, a third child born in 1910. Robert certainly received some of the transfer fee, possibly up to £225, less than he would have received from a benefit, but still a hefty sum, and Oldham paid £1,500 directly to Manchester United, who needed the money at this time after an FA investigation into their finances had limited the money that John Henry Davies could put into the club. Roberts was not satisfied and it is no use keeping a man who has a grievance or thinks he has. It is all the same thing. Yet Manchester people will part with such a brilliant player with regret. Oldham Athletic, however, are the gainers. The coverage in the press was massive, as you can imagine, for a player with the status and heroic status of Charlie Roberts. This must be put down as one of the most notable, perhaps the most notable, transfers which has been affected for a long time. Charlie Roberts has been at Manchester for many years. Indeed, when he was first transferred to the United, he was little better than a promising young player, and the fee they paid for him would, in these days, be regarded as paltry. The United never made a better bargain, for who shall say how much he has been worth to them, first at Clayton and afterwards at Old Trafford? A finely built fellow he was, and he's physically a model centre-half. And though he only has one or two international caps, many fine judges consider that he has been for many years the best centre-half in the country. But Roberts has not been altogether persona grata with the Football Association and they have preferred wedlock, the Bristol wonder, to the Mancunian. Many and many a heated discussion has there been about the respective merits of the pair. Wedlock is a marvel, but I remember the old and true saying that a good biggun is better than a good littlun, and with both at their best, I would rather have Roberts on my side. For a year or two, it's been persistently stated that Roberts could hardly last out the full 90 minutes in a hard-fought game. I cannot help but think this is partly imagination. Only last season I saw Roberts in the last 10 minutes of a strenuous game, the most energetic man on the field. It is possible, even probable, that he is now just a little past his best, which may make it appear that Oldham have paid a very big price indeed. 1,500 is a big amount even in these days, but Robert is still such a fine player, so good a judge of the game, so excellent a leader, that I should not care to say that they have got the worst of the bargain. That remains to be seen. 
A big burly fellow, very good with his head. Roberts may be a bit on the slow side, so he can't get about as quickly as the majority of his parents can get about, and I congratulate them all on their enterprise. Another paper looks in detail at Roberts' involvement in the Players' Union. A white slave? To many, the news of his transfer may have come as a bit of a shock, for his name is so associated with the Manchester United club that many would have expected him to end his career at Trafford Park. To others, however, the announcement would not have created much surprise. For quite a long time past, it has been noted that relations between club and player were somewhat strained. Those who talk of professionals being white slaves, bought and sold by the clubs, by whom they are kept in complete subjection, never knew Charlie Roberts. Anybody less like a slave I have never met, and I know him fairly well. He has always had a mind of his own, with a great partiality for expressing it. He fears no one, certainly not the FA, the league, or his club directors. If he desires to express an opinion, he does so without much regard for what will be thought of it by the great ones of the football world, and he has always appeared to have a kind of pity for some of his less bold friends. Roberts has always been a prominent figure in the Football Players' Union, and there is no doubt it would be a much greater power in the football world if there were more like him. His methods are, perhaps, rather of the sledgehammer variety, and he has not always displayed the diplomacy and tact necessary in dealing with delicate situations in which the FA and the League have been concerned, but everybody realises and appreciates the singleness of purpose and genuine interest in the things which concerned his fellow players. Roberts is one of the all-too-few professional players who has an occupation apart from football, and in Manchester he owns quite a big newspaper shop, which must keep him pretty well employed. Doubtless he will continue to live in Manchester, for Oldham is close at hand. Charlie enjoyed a great spell at Oldham. He was at the top of his game still at the age of 30, despite what the newspapers said, and his first game back at Old Trafford was in October 1913. The weather last Saturday was more fit for cricket than football, one newspaper said. Manchester United gave a dazzling display, winning as they liked. Oldham would no doubt be surprised. Charlie Roberts had a great reception and he played a splendid game. He cannot be blamed for his side's defeat, but all the same, no doubt, he will be disappointed. In 1915, the final season before war brought to an end league football, Roberts guided his Oldham Athletic side to the runners-up spot in the league championship. As Manchester United only just avoided relegation, Charlie Roberts' Oldham secured their highest ever place finish and really should have won the title. But if it wasn't for losing two right at the end of the season, games in 1914-15, then Oldham Athletic would have, won, would have won the league. I particularly enjoyed reading this description of Charlie Roberts while he was at Oldham. The best centre-half in Britain from 1905 to 1912, but you will find his name very seldom on the international records. Very big, very burly, very brainy, and very fond of telling the referee it's... A nice day, and don't you think we might have a free kick for that? If you feel inclined, and if you don't, there's no harm done, and I hope all your family are well. He's won the cup medals before, and thinks he can do it again. It was a description before Charlie was playing for Oldham in the English Cup, but that description of the way he spoke to referees is particularly entertaining. Company. By the left, quick march. 
The proper football calendar came to an end in 1915 and was replaced by a variety of competitions. Charlie's playing career was brought to an abrupt end not by war, but by illness. Nevertheless, he played a plenty during the hostilities. Before that, he and Meredith, still great companions, friends and colleagues at the Players' Union, remained the central figures of Mancunian football. He's part of that fabric of Manchester football, and it was such a small world anyway. You know, there's loads of cases of, of um, players sort of living next door to each other or going in each other's pubs and all that sort of thing. So, so you know, the players of City United and all the te- all the, the other teams in, in, in the sort of City area, including the non-linked teams, were known to each other and would have... It was a community. You know, Meredith had his own pub and quite often it was, it was sort of nicknamed the Footballers Pub because footballers went into that pub and would talk to him. There's, there were actually quite a few pubs in Manchester as known as the Footballers Pub. <laughs> in March 1915, the county police played against the special constables for a charity game. Charlie Roberts refereed the game and Billy Meredith acted as a linesman. A few months later, another charity effort was launched, though this time each of the players brought together an 11 of their own. Roberts and Meredith were captains at the Fallowfield Athletic Ground, where the famous Outcast FC picture had been taken, and the other players included Newcastle's McCracken, Oldham's Wilson, Bolton's Smith and United's Sandy Turnbull. The game was played to raise money for the nearby Fallowfield and Burnage Red Cross hospitals. Charlie did continue playing up until February 1916, and was in excellent form for Oldham, scoring and creating regularly. He drew crowds in as well. Remember, he was United's first hero and United fans would try to get down to Oldham to see their former star boy if they could. With many younger famous footballers already away on duty having signed up, Roberts and those remaining were certainly big attractions. In late January 1916, Oldham Athletic drew the biggest attendance of the season. Roberts opened away for Walters to drive hard past Tillman and then Roberts headed in the second goal. Another charity match beckoned soon after that one as the rest of England side beat the Midlands team 4-2 to raise money for the British Red Cross. Charlie Roberts was described as the redoubtable centre-half, meaning unbeatable and formidable. After a game against Stockport County, the Yorkshire Post referred to the brilliant Charlie Roberts, and as Oldham shaped up to play the Scousers, the Liverpool Echoes said, Oldham's team will produce England's centre-half Charles Roberts, and that factor alone is sufficient to arouse great interest. But when it is remembered that Pagnum is to face stalwart backs and a pivot like Roberts, it will be seen that Liverpool have a difficult task on hand. Strange it is that Liverpool rarely do well at home against Oldham, but have always done well at Boundary Park. And yet, Charlie would not play another game for years. On February 22nd, the Echo announced that Roberts was suffering with pleurisy, a condition where the pleura, two large, thin layers of tissue that separate your lung from your chest wall, become inflamed. It causes sharp chest pain that worsens while breathing, and sometimes shoulder pain as well. You certainly couldn't play football with it. Pleurisy is often caused by flu, but it's also a sign of bacterial infections like pneumonia, blood clots, bruised ribs, lung cancer, or things like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. Charlie would never have to go to war. His inconvenient lung condition may well have saved his life, even if at one point it seemed to threaten it quite seriously. (laughs) By August, reporters pondered that it is doubtful if Roberts will ever play football again. Not only was Charlie ill, but at some point he suffered injury on the pitch itself and developed a stiff leg. 
Which came first, the pleurisy or the stiff leg, it's hard to say. Charlie himself thought that the pneumonia caused by the pleurisy was affecting his knee, but we now know that can't have been it. When the National Archives reopen after the uh, enforced closure due to the coronavirus, I'll do some more digging and we'll find out eventually. While he was ill, Charlie continued to talk to his old teammates and work at his news agents and tobacco shop. Sandy Turnbull, for example, was in the middle of the fighting, serving as a lance sergeant in the East Surrey Regiment in France. Charlie would send him little wrapped up gifts of cigars, cigarettes and tobacco from his shop. But sadly, Sandy died in the battle at Arras on May 3rd, 1917, aged 32. His body was never identified. Charlie was 35 by the end of the war and 36 by the time football began again. His main focus was on the players' union, but there was a brief moment where it seemed he might return for Oldham, and this is slightly strange given how ill it was said he was during the war. In March 1919, the star Greenan wrote a Sheffield newspaper, One of the most pleasant bits of news we have read of late is Charlie Roberts' statement that he will be fit again for league football next season, for it isn't so long ago that the popular Oldham halfback was very ill indeed and he feared his football career ended. In September 1919, as league football returned, Roberts didn't play, but instead provided commentary on Hearts against Celtic for the Sunday Post. But it was the Players' Union where the focus was most important. He became chairman and held that post until 1921. Charlie would travel between London and Manchester, talking to players, giving commentary on matches for various newspapers and organising meetings of committees and the like. He presided over the coming togethers of both the southern and the northern section of the Players' Union, and in 1920 he was behind an initiative to see a rise in the maximum wage of up to £9. He was rebuffed on this occasion. And at the same time, Charlie's newsagent and tobacco shop was growing in size. This business would really develop over the years, and soon the Charlie Roberts name would be carried on for generations as a wholesale tobacconist business. In December 1920, he tried to get himself back involved with Manchester United. He tried to get himself on director's board. A few technicalities made it difficult though. He first had to make himself an amateur player again, it seems, not a professional, in order to become a director at a club. And also, he had to own shares in the club in order to be a director at a limited company like Manchester United. His appeal, alongside that of a couple of the other players who wished to do the same at other clubs, was rejected by the Football Association. Had Roberts gone on to the United board at this point, it's likely he would have stayed there and possibly tried his hand at management in the 1920s, but instead he became manager at Oldham Athletic. In order to do so, he resigned his position as chairman of the Players' Union. His final words at his final AGM were, I like to think of myself that in future I can say, Charlie, you have done your duty to your fellow players. He became Oldham boss in June 1921 and would leave after about a year. He just found the stresses of management too much to handle. He was described as anxiety personified and could often be seen pacing to and fro behind the grandstand during the course of a match, completely unable to watch. But for a time, Robert's management style looked good. He certainly learnt from Ernest Magno in one or two regards, one being fitness and the other being the strange methods of signing for players, though that may have also come from Harry Stafford and Louis Rocker. It is extraordinary how effective some of the forwards are in tapping the ball and flashing it into the net when at practice. Yet over and over again, these same players, when given chances with the seniors in a real encounter, have lost their nerve and thrown opportunities away. Manager Charlie Roberts wants to cure this, and no amount of footwork will satisfy him until it achieves his purpose. Charlie gave a lot of opportunities to reserve players, but also brought in some new players, including one from Warsaw, David Spence.
The negotiations with Charlie Roberts were actually concluded and the necessary document signed on a ferry brook during the crossing of the Mersey from Birkenhead to Liverpool after Walsall had played Tranmere Rovers. resigned in December 1922 and that created a good deal of surprise and then returned to running his newsagent's shop and setting up a fledgling tobacconist business. It was based, as we've said, just a short distance, less than a mile from the old United ground at Bank Street in Clayton in East Manchester. In 1928, Charlie Roberts helped to set up a new football club, one which challenged the very existence of Manchester United. It was a sequence of events not devised out of some kind of bitterness towards his old club, but solely as part of a group of men who wanted to bring football back to a certain part of Manchester. United, you see, had left Clayton in 1910 to go to Old Trafford, as we know. Manchester City then left Hyde Road to go to Main Road in Moss Side in 1923. East Manchester, where both stadiums had been based, suddenly went from having two major clubs, the two major clubs in Manchester, to none. There was no shortage of old football people who felt this was wrong. Charlie Roberts was one of them, and so too was Billy Meredith. When United moved to Old Trafford, and then in, the 19, in 1923 City moved to Main Road, Meredith was part of a group of people who felt that East Manchester, which was a tr- proper working class area of Manchester, mm. um, where football had been come popular in, in Manchester, um, that it was suddenly without a football team. So he, he helped to establish a team called Manchester Central. As well as Meredith and Roberts, Charlie Pringle was also involved, an ex-Manchester City captain. The team was to be called Manchester Central, meaning the initials were MCFC. And they deliberately chose the name Manchester Central FC, so it was MCFC as a rival. A bit like FC United, in a sense, when it was created, it was a, perceived as a rival to the, to, to, to the team that had the best support in the 30s. They had a couple of failed attempts to get into the Football League early on, but as with the Players' Union, they persisted hard. But Meredith um, and Charlie Roberts put an awful lot of effort into this football club um, and they attracted a crowd of 10,000 for a friendly match and they, they were sort of developing and they applied to join the Football League. Central attracted better players than their rivals simply because of the names they already had. Charlie and Billy coached a lot. His son actually played for them as well. And Charlie's son, Charlie Jr, played for Central. A couple of Charlie's other sons played as well. I asked Ted, was it a family affair? Very much so. There were two of the the uncles, Richard Dick Roberts and Jack Roberts, who played played for Manchester Central. Mm. Whether they got to the first team or not, I don't know. That's lost in history now. When Wigan Borough withdrew from Division 3, the North section, in October 1931, Central suggested to the Football League that they take over Wigan's fixture list and replace them in the league, at least for the season. The existing Division 3 sides were accepted, and that included Stockport County, another local club who thought that central success would be positive for the local football scene. United and City would disagree. I hope you're enjoying this episode of United Through Time. It's been a fun one to produce, there's no doubt about that. The show is going to continue in just a second, but I just wanted to offer you the chance to help fund United Through Time to keep making podcasts like this. 
you can go to unitedthroughtime.com forward slash support to find out more information on how to become a patron. Patreon is a platform where so-called creators can offer extra bonus content to their listeners or viewers for a small amount of money. There's four tiers available to you between 38p a week and £10 a month. If you're interested, go to unitedthroughtime.com forward slash support. And if you sign up, you won't have to hear this message or any kind of ads ever again. Cheers. In the Daily Dispatch, one journalist commented, Manchester Central are not merely a second division, but a first division club of the future. There should be room in Manchester for three league clubs. Unfortunately for Charlie Roberts and his friends, Manchester's two biggest clubs, United and City, did not think the same. United, you see, were in a perilous situation. You know, the ground for many years became a white elephant because so few fans uh, went to see Manchester United. Uh, in the in the 20s and 30s. The attendances at Old Trafford, as Mark says, were low. Their players were generally average and their league performances were poor. And the finances, well, it's better not to be discussed. The whole purpose of Central was to take the place of Manchester United. Right? So they, they used the MCFC to target City for life, but they, their aim was to take the place of United. And at the time, you just needed to be elected into the league. They, there was three divisions at this point, um, Division 3 North. So well, all they needed to do was get into Division 3 North and with a good season, get into Division 2. United were struggling in Division 2. It wouldn't have taken them long. And, and the, the gamble that Manchester Central's uh, key figures had was that United's crowds had dropped because they'd moved to Old Trafford, which is absolutely, if you look at the figures, they're absolutely sort of true. United had moved to a more salubrious area than East Manchester, but was more known for its sort of rugby, if you like, and wasn't really known for football. Whereas East Manchester was still very much a a soccer sort of home, if you like. Um, United pleaded with City to help them get rid of the potential challenge of Central, and City agreed to do so. Central had taken their MCFC initials after all. City and United had a meeting. It was agreed that City would put forward a complaint on behalf of City and United. Uh. Because City were a first division team, they would be listened to more. And the Football League backed City United, its existing members. But unlike back with the Players' Union, where Charlie Roberts' actions were hammered by the press, it was United and City, the two clubs who had stopped Central from getting into the league, that were hammered by the media. But that didn't change the results. Central folded within a year, knowing any future progress would be restricted. It's an incredible story. Central, had they been allowed into the Football League, could have quickly overtaken United as Manchester's second team. And then where would we be now? It does make you wonder what would happen, because if Central had got into that league, it's, pretend, it's possible that you might then have got a situation like you've got, I suppose, in, in the Midlands, where you've got Aston Villa and Birmingham City, obviously are both from Birmingham, and then you've got West Brunch Albion on the sort yeah. of fringe. And because of that, yes, you know, Villa have achieved, well, they've all achieved some success, but but not one of them has been a great power, certainly since yeah. the 50s. This third team that is new and exciting, and people like yeah. Charlie, and Charlie Roberts and Billy Meredith were involved in it. <laughs> so, you know, if Charlie Roberts still had his, he had a, um, well, he became a cash and carry, but he had his, his business in East Manchester. And, you you know, so Vin, Meredith and Roberts are known by people in East Manchester. And, so, and you know, it, it, it's impossible to say how it would have gone, but but it could easily have been the jump forward another 50 years. 
and either City or United has ceased to exist because it could be that United did survive, but then when City, their dark days, City disappeared. Um, it could have been that Central got the Commonwealth Games stage. Who knows? You know, anything's possible. <laughs> anything's possible. But it's a really fascinating story. And, and I think you're right that there's no major footballing city that's got three. Uh, uh, London, London's different, obviously, but yeah. no major footballing city that's got three truly successful clubs. So something would have given. And the, the newspaper reports from that period are really interesting because. Some of them talk about Manchester desperately needs a second football club. And you sort of go, oh, that's a type of error. And then yeah. you, read the article, you read the article and it basically says because United are failing. Um, United are, are, are dead, more or less. During and after the times of Central, Charlie was working hard as well to grow his tobacconist business. He now had the help of his eldest son, William, born in 1908, with whom he converted it from a medium-sized shop to something which blossomed over the decades into a large-scale business, wholesale, cash-and-carry business. One of the types of cigars made by Charlie in his shop, though, was Duckrow Bell, named after Dick Duckworth, Charlie Roberts and Alec Bell, the three great defenders who made such a brilliant back line. I think I put a, I might have put a box in the museum, I don't know. Can you see that at all? Yeah, it's like the original well, book. That's, that's the cigars, Duckrowbell, and it's got uh, in, in the boxes CR Manchester, Charlie Roberts Manchester. In later years, Ted, born in 1931, would follow in his grandfather's footsteps when he took over the tobacco company. He created, Ted, a cigarette brand called United, which came in red and white packages. I was the chairman of this company called the Manchester Tobacco Company, and we were making these United cigarettes in the 80s. I started this just like an old, an old local brand, United, in a red and white pack, strangely enough. <laughs> and, and, and United did ring up the secretary at the time. I think it was Les Oliver, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, rang up to inquire if there's any uh, anything in it for them. You know, I said, what's all to do with you united? It's any united, you know, yeah. any team of people. So it's uh, just interesting that they did actually were aware of the commercial possibilities. But we were selling, the biggest ever sold was 27 million in one month. 27 million United cigarettes in one month. As Charlie became more of a businessman with each passing year, his political views developed too, from a unionist to a conservative. Um, but he stood as a town councillor for the Conservative Party. Having started the union, you know, he thought, well, because he was a businessman now, you know, he was, then became a businessman. Yeah, and he, he stood for that in the early 30s? In the Moston Ward, when he got beaten by the local liberal or socialist, I don't know which. Yeah. In the, yeah in the early, in when Charlie died, he handed the business down to his eldest son, Willie Roberts, and then it went to Ted. By 1992, it had around 56 workers, a fair amount from the local area, though not quite as many as it had once had in the decades before. And then, in May 1992, the warehouse, on the site of the potential Olympic Stadium for Manchester's bid for the Games, was a victim of two arson attacks on consecutive nights. Ted remains none the wiser as to who set fire to his business, but has previously claimed in the Manchester Evening News that it was a professional job related to the Olympic bid. Arson attacks, Olympic site. I, I put these flyers out everywhere. I, talk, I, put all these, I did all this stuff about... Who, who talks Charlie Roberts on the Olympic side, see? <laughs> Put them on all the lampposts around the town hall. And did you get any... No response. Back? No? 
No, no response. Only, only a last, uh, another letter sent to my house saying that they would execute me within the year. <laughs> Incredible. Make arrangements for your next of kin. Amidst all the efforts directed towards Central and the tobacco business, Charlie remained a committed fan of Manchester United, even if he wasn't involved in any official capacity. In October 1930, Charlie spoke at a United supporters meeting. 3,000 fans were in attendance and it was there that it was decided a boycott would be carried out in United's match against Arsenal in late October. United had lost all 10 of their first matches of the season. You see, this is why it was possible for Central to replace them if they had been allowed in. There was a vote of no confidence in the management of the club and it was passed unanimously by the fans. Charlie, now a businessman, expressed himself in favour of abandoning the boycott though. He did have some logical reasons. The boycott to be successful must have public opinion behind it, he said. And a public opinion is not yet ripe for a boycott. If present conditions at Old Trafford exist much longer, there will be no need for a boycott because the public have already shown their disapproval of the methods of the management by staying away from the matches. United's attendances were low. Mr Roberts said he did not blame the players for the position the club was in today, but the management. They had created their own troubles, and he could not understand the intelligence of the people who controlled the club when they declared themselves businessmen, and at the same time were losing £1,000 a week at least, through lack of enterprise. Roberts was not one to exaggerate, but he nevertheless claimed that United needed nine new players to be any good. Roberts had every right to question the United board. He had wanted to be on it. As I mentioned earlier, the first attempt at this was in very early 1920s. But this continued throughout the 1920s. George Greenhoff, the leader of the United Supporters Club, the original one, had tried hard to get Roberts onto the board back in 1925, five years earlier. Charlie wanted to be on, but his application to join had been refused because he didn't own any shares, and only a shareholder could become a director of United, a limited company. Greenhoff tried to give Charlie some of his shares, but the directors intervened and refused the transfer of these shares and Roberts was kept off the board, a decision which rankled with him and certainly with the fans who would have loved to know Charlie Roberts, their great first captain, was making sure things didn't go awry. Well, they did go awry, badly as we've heard, 10 consecutive defeats stretched into 12. Charlie could have been the public face of United, but instead he was one of the public faces of criticism. So he was invited to speak at the meeting of the fans by Greenhoff. He proposed the boycott be cancelled because he felt there wasn't enough public support and the majority of the 3,000 in attendance disagreed. It failed though, the boycott. United drew a bigger crowd than usual for the Arsenal game even if the talk of a protest and boycott had drawn some more attention to the board's failings. Though Charlie didn't back the boycott, he did back some form of protest and he was perhaps the only member of the football establishment who did. United's fans were hammered in the press for being unsporting, but Charlie at least offered his ear and his support to the frustrated fans of Manchester United. We will obviously talk more about this period at United in later episodes, so let's not dwell on it for too long now. A few months after these events, the Empire State Building was completed in New York City, Frankenstein and Dracula were screened in London for the first time, and Charlie had his first grandson, Ted Roberts. If there was no Roberts and no Manchester United, there would be no more trouble in the football world. That's what was said in various locations of the football elite in the early 1900s and 1910s, and 1920s actually. Well, in August 1939, Charlie Roberts died after a seven and a half hour operation on his brain. But the challenges to football's elite did not end. The union which Roberts had helped to create would continue to pursue its goals for the next 70 years, and still does. 
The maximum wage would eventually be abolished in the 1960s thanks to the work of Jimmy Hill, and for the world-class professional footballer, things are pretty rosy these days. But lower down the pyramid, a whole plethora of problems remain, and there is much work still to be done. When that work is done, it will be done through the Professional Footballers Association, which Roberts was a key part of. The illuminated address given to him by the Football Players Union. Well, what it actually says is that um, since you assisted to found the Players Union, you have worked with fearless and unselfish enthusiasm to further the objects which were its ambition. And then he goes on to say, we realise that you made great sacrifices in the cause of the professional football player. Great sacrifices. And I think that is his England career. Those are the great sacrifices that I think he made. It was all suggested that that was the case. Yeah. Charlie had been in hospital with some nerve trouble in the summer of 1939 and was pretty seriously ill. He eventually had this operation for brain injury. It is believed that heading the ball was responsible for increasing attacks on dizziness, which necessitated the operation. He left behind him a widow in May after 33 years of marriage and three daughters and five sons. Billy Meredith mourned the loss, of course he did. Charlie was one of the greatest players who ever lived, Meredith said, and one of the finest sportsmen. Everybody liked him. Walter Crickmer, United Secretary at the time, said, His name would always live in football history as one of the finest players the game has produced. And he was right. Charlie remains one of the greatest centre-halves to ever play in England. He had it all. Technique, physicality, composure, leadership, character, passing range, a good long shot, decent ball control. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The pallbearers at Charlie's funeral were Billy Meredith, Jimmy Turnbull, Herbert Burgess, Dick Duckworth, Vincent Hayes and Jimmy Henderson. 
Charlie's tobacco business, which we've mentioned a few times, had become pretty successful over the 1920s and 30s, and it was at this point that his kids began to be involved. Now a Chinese takeaway on Ashton New Road, Charlie's shop was less than a mile from where United's old Bank Street ground had been, and it's now walking distance from City's Etihad Stadium. The shop would be used for all sorts. The Roberts family lived above it, of course, and it would often be a haven of footballing events. Ex-United players would stop by for a chat, or anyone involved in the Manchester football scene, really, and journalists would occasionally pop round too, for a chat or to use Charlie's telephone. When Liverpool and Manchester schoolboys faced off at the Clayton ground in 1930, one reporter went to Charlie's shop. I arrived at his establishment to find all the lines to Liverpool engaged. Waiting for my opportunity, I talked with Mr Roberts' young son and daughter. Dad was engaged reporting on the local City and United derby. His two older sons were playing football. United had beaten City that day in the derby at Main Road. Richard Roberts, born in 1919, was managing the shop by the late 30s. He's one of the ones who played a little bit for Central. Christopher was a shop assistant and van driver. Hilda was also a shop assistant. And eldest son, William, was the company's secretary, married to Rosemary Renouf, who also helped out with the business. Charlie Roberts Limited, wholesale tobacconist, stayed running until 1992, as we've said. Football and tobacco's relationship had begun back in 1896 when the first footballers appeared on cigarette cards, a marketing technique to get people to stick with one brand of fags. Millions of them were produced over the next few decades without any consent from the players who didn't have image rights as they do now. Though Charlie had more pressing issues to fight than that one. The Roberts family name continued to make headlines. Soon after Charlie's death, William was in the papers talking about an increase in tobacco prices. Then Richard was found to have been drunk driving. When examined by a doctor and asked where he lived, Richard replied, In a house, like everybody else. And for the next 30 years, and more, ex-players and journalists would use Charlie as their reference point. Charlie Roberts was the finest centre-half back I ever saw. Colin Veach said, Have we had in the last few seasons a centre-half of the attacking type of Charlie Roberts at his best? Another reporter asked, Never have I met a player who was so insistent on the value of keeping up the attacking as Charlie Roberts. Once or twice in the old days, when I was quite a lad, I saw Roberts playing as the pivot of the famous Man United team, and the point which struck me every time was the way in which he was constantly backing up his forwards. Right on the heels of his attackers was Roberts most of the time, in a position to push the ball along the ground to them, as distinct from trying to reach them with a mighty forward kick. These comments continued even after the Second World War. Charlie Roberts would go up and start attacks. He was not cribbed, cabined and confined to his own penalty area, as centre-halves are today. Billy Meredith wrote, Put it this way, he was a great centre-half back, but was every bit a greater captain. He insisted on being captain in more than name. And in 1948, when trophies finally returned to Manchester United, when Sir Matt Busby guided United to their first FA Cup final since 1909, May Roberts, widow of Charlie, sent a letter to be published in the Manchester Evening News. Letter to the Manchester United captain. On behalf of my sons and myself, I would very much like to convey my good wishes to yourself and the boys of Manchester United, and trust they will bring back the cup. I well remember the last time the cup was won by United and brought back to Bank Street Clayton by my late husband Charlie Roberts, then captain and colleague of Duckworth and Bell. What a great day it was. They rode from the station in carabanks drawn by four white horses. Crowds of men, headed by brass bands, carried torchlights all the way up Oldham Street and Ashton New Road. Then the team played a match and afterwards, with their wives and friends, went to a grand dinner in the Midland Hotel, given by the chairman, Mr Henry Davies, who I think made Manchester United what it is today. Good luck to you all, Mrs Chaz Roberts, Fairley Avenue, Audenshaw. In 2019, Charlie's great-great-granddaughter, Lucy Roberts, played for Manchester United in the inaugural season for the women's team. What a legacy.
Charlie was such a good player and his impact on and off the pitch lasts until today. He was ahead of his time as a footballer and as a leader of men. He pursued the recognition of the mental struggles of players as well as financial as far back as 1910 and dedicated his life towards football in Manchester, even as a Darlington boy. That's it for this episode of United Through Time. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you're interested in hearing some more stories about Charlie Roberts, about how this episode was researched and put together, and if you want to hear the full interviews with our brilliant guests, you can. Go to unitedthroughtime.com to find details and sign up to our Patreon. A great thank you to my guests, particularly to Dr. Gary James, who always lends me a huge amount of his time and knowledge, but also to Mark Metcalf, the author of Manchester United, The First Halcyon Years, a really good book on the early days of United from 1907 to 1911, and to Paddy Barkley, a gentleman as ever, and a brilliant writer, and to Richard Butler, the man who tried to get recognition for Roberts in his hometown of Darlington back in 2015, and also, of course, to the family of Charlie Roberts, who offered me some late advice for the podcast. There might be something bigger on Charlie coming in the future. To hear more from all of them, you can become a Patreon and help support the podcast. This podcast was researched, written, produced and hosted by me, Harry Robinson. If you enjoyed it, share it with your friends. Cheers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to United Through Time. Each episode takes hours to produce, maybe as many as 100 hours per episode, maybe more. Maybe I'll actually measure it next time. Anyway, it is all for free and it's going to continue for free. And I think what uh, what I put out is of pretty decent quality and I really would appreciate any kind of support. There's two ways you can support the show. One is by sharing it with everyone you know, or the other is by paying a little bit of money each month or both. And if you pay a bit of money, you'll get some good exclusive bonus podcasts in return. You can get up to two extra episodes each month, blog posts, family trees, photos, etc, etc. There's loads on offer. UnitedThroughTime.com forward slash support for details. Cheers. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.